It's Monday, September 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Markerman. Happy Monday, gents. Happy you as Monday, well. indeed. Nice day out there. It is. Yeah, nice cool string of weather. Yeah, it has been really, really, really nice. Just in time for the Pope to come. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> as, we, as we were just talking about, and the, the havoc that is going to happen in terms of traffic patterns. But not affecting the three of us. No, we're good. We're really, good. Maybe, maybe we should have a Pope theme investing show, like, you know, investments for the Pope. Investments. investments inspired by the Pope. You know what? Tune in Wednesday. Maybe yeah. we'll do that. Taser. Maybe Taser could be one. Taser? Right? Why Taser? Well, you're going to have a lot of law enforcement Security. out there. Oh, cameras, okay. Tasers and stuff. Like, what are you suggesting? Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. Samuel Adams, perhaps. Boston Beer. You're probably going to want to knock back a couple if you got to deal with the, you know, like the the, the nightmares around uh, the city and the traffic and whatnot. You get back home, you want to relax. So, a uh, friend of mine, and, and we'll get to the actual stories in a moment, sure. but, uh, but since you mentioned that, a friend of mine, uh, worked uh, for a stretch of time. He's a beer maker, so he he worked for Breckenridge Brewing oh, in, yeah. in Colorado. Yeah. And this was I I don't know 15 20 years ago when not this pope, but the pope at the time was visiting Denver, and he and his coworkers at Breckenridge came up with a limited edition brew in honor of the Pope's visit, <laughs> and it was papal ale, and the design on the label was two hands lifting a chalice that was lit from behind with beer uh, flowing over I the love chalice. It. Yeah. That's the beauty of craft breweries right there. You, they're, you nimble, right. they're nimble, and they can make it happen. That's right. I, I like to think that maybe in Pennsylvania someone's doing that when the Pope is in Philadelphia, and 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 hopefully hopefully our friends up the road at Port City yeah. Brewing are, are considering something like that. Giving you yeah. a heads up right now. Yeah, I mean they were the ones that came out with the Derecho, and that's actually a really yeah. popular offering now. It's a seasonal. The Derecho being the big storm that we had yeah. here that knocked mm-hmm. power out for like two three weeks or something. Well, yeah, and as, as you indicated, if you're going to have your power knocked out, you know why not? Drink Have a little something to help pass the time. Um, we are going to dip into the full mailbag. We are going to talk about what the astonishing story out of Germany with Volkswagen. <laughs> uh, but let's start Case with. Case of the Mondays out there in Germany. Oh, my goodness, wow. yes. Uh, but let's start with the Emmy Awards, and in particular, the, the business of the Emmy Awards, because the, the annual television awards given out last night. And when you look at the numbers, Holy cow, is broadcast television just getting its hat handed to it by cable television? Papal hat. <laughs> HBO winning 14 Emmy Awards, Comedy Central winning four, and four is the same number of Emmy Awards won by CBS, ABC, NBC, and Fox combined. Ouch. <laughs> and I mean. <laughs> and didn't I see HBO had something like 167 nominations? Yes. And for the first time wow. in 13 years, one network won both, uh, won both Best Comedy Series and Best Drama Series, and that was HBO with Game of Thrones and Veep. Okay. And, I mean, maybe, maybe this is coincidence, maybe not, but a story in the Wall Street Journal today about, for all the success that NBC has had with its television lineup, when you dig below the surface of that, it is powered primarily by two things, and that is Sunday Night Football, mm-hmm. which is a ratings winner week after week, and The Voice, which is a, a hit reality TV series, but 
in terms Those of... Those run their course, though. They yeah. run their course, yeah. and the pipeline for NBC is is pretty weak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know. I think, I think if you're... If you're looking at investing in Comcast, parent company of NBC, uh, Disney, parent company of ABC, or CBS or Fox, you you have to be concerned about what is happening at the networks. I mean, I, I certainly would be. I mean, as as a as a cable subscriber, and when we have HBO, um, I mean, the thing I love about HBO is it's entirely differentiated from anything else that's out there. And and I find myself being less and less compelled with what is at least on the networks like like NBC and CBS and and ABC. I mean, I think AMC and FX are doing a good job of coming out with some some hits here and there. Um, you know, we we've gone back to sort of this thing where we talked about at the beginning of the year how you have sort of HBO and Netflix sort of in this race with Netflix trying to become HBO faster. Then HBO can become Netflix, and I mean, I think to this point at least, I mean, I, I think that HBO is kind of winning this race, and that's primarily because the adoption of of technology is going to be a lot faster than the pace at which Netflix can actually build out their own content, and so you know we're starting to see more um, more of the more of the the network, uh, you know. Uh, the the networks sort of uh, the TV networks like whether it's Discovery or AMC or Fox and we're seeing more and more of this question as to really is Netflix more friend or foe because they're like hey well I mean Discovery raises a good point they're like hey listen we're giving Netflix all of this great content that we make that we own you know and like our stock is getting handed to us here like down you know the market's being about like 20% year to date whereas as Netflix continues to do very well and that's understandable the value proposition is there for Netflix you pay you pay almost nothing you know a month to get it but i think now what we're starting to see is because hulu is becoming a little bit more of a viable option for a lot of these a lot of these uh, studios it, it is becoming a little bit more um, Sort of, you know, there's. I, th- I think they're seeing more options, more places to get that content out there, and Netflix is starting to become a little bit more particular about what they put um, on their on their uh, network, so to speak. And and you know, so what we have now is sort of this big sort of competition where we're seeing the real players in the space sort of of, of come to come to the front here. We have HBO, obviously Netflix. I think Amazon obviously is is holding its own, and they I think won a couple of awards uh, last night as well for mm-hmm. transparent. Uh, you know, I saw that. I thought it was really good. They did a wonderful job with it. Uh, and then also Hulu, I think, is, is becoming a little bit more uh, of, an, of an option as well. And, and Hulu is a bit of a different business because it also uh, is able to rely on ads. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's obviously a, a far different space than it was um, even five years ago. And uh, and now it's it's becoming a, a bit more interesting to see like the the suppliers of all that content have a few more options out there. So it's not just a Netflix world anymore. Um, you know, a few more options. Yeah, Taylor, uh, we had uh, Andy Greenwald, TV writer uh, for Grantland, uh, on the radio show a couple of weeks ago. He came out with his his fall preview uh, and said, in no uncertain terms, this is the worst fall season <laughs> in modern television history. And so that that doesn't help the the traditional broadcast television networks. And I think to to Jason's point, we're we're starting to see a significant shift. Whereas once upon a time it was, and it wasn't even once upon a time. It was just in the last few years. It was really sort of the broadcast networks against the cable networks. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to see a new line in the sand, and that is 
on the one side, Netflix, Amazon Prime, et cetera, the distributors, mm-hmm. against the content creators. Because you know, James Murdoch, uh, who's the CEO at 21st Century Fox, came out recently. David Zasloff from Discovery Communications, basically saying the same thing. Saying, yeah. uh, you know, uh, yeah, we're we're working with Netflix and Amazon Prime. We're working with them, but uh, uh, things are evolving, and we're starting to question how much longer we're going to be working with them. It kind of reminds me of what's going on in the music industry over the last few years with streaming. Um, you know, you got the record labels and the artists complaining about not making enough money on the royalties that you're getting from Spotify subscribers, Pandora subscribers. Now Apple has their their music service, so. I think both of these industries are kind of going in that in that direction where consumers have an option that's very very convenient, and you can watch the watch these shows on Netflix, HBO, and and Prime on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer. You don't have to be sitting on your couch by a television. And I saw um, the survey from the UK, so it's not the US, but I think it's still similar personalities over there a little bit. And if you look at age groups that most missed media device that they would miss the most. So telephone, TV, tablet, PC. <clears throat> 16 to 24 year olds, 59% would miss their mobile phone the most. TV only 17%. You go down to 65 to 74 year olds, 3% would miss their smartphone the most. 63% would miss the TV. So I think just demographics <laughs> are skewing away from a TV set. And I think that should worry people more than just Netflix having options and HBO having options. And I think HBO is making all the waves with TV because they didn't adapt to creating content. They were always a good content creator. And they're just, they're taking on the technology side of things, whereas the the cable companies aren't. And I think that's where HBO's advantage is over Netflix and the cable companies. Yeah. And I mean, Netflix certainly, certainly to their their credit, I mean, Ted Sarandos is saying that. You know, on sort of the Hulu side of the fence, where Hulu is 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 seeing more value in in having those TV brands, AMC, FX, in their portfolio. Netflix is relying less and less on that as time goes on, which is right in line with the strategy they've laid out, and that they're trying to produce more and more of their own content. Mm-hmm. And again, it just goes back; to, it's going to take a lot of time to do that. It's not that they can't; I'm sure they can and will, um, it, but it is going to take a lot of time to do that. Uh, when you, when you look, you brought up Disney earlier, which I thought was a pretty interesting. Note there because we go back to Disney's call, the earnings call last quarter, where Bob Iger, the question was asked about Netflix, and and as it stands, I mean, he said they look at Netflix right now as more friend than foe because they've been such an aggressive customer. Now it would be interesting to see sort of how that changed if you know Netflix became less and less of an aggressive customer because by aggressive customer he means that Netflix is willing to pay top dollar for that Disney content because it is very special it is unique it's not something they can find really anywhere else and and Disney's not going to be able to make their own sort of Disney content they're going to have to license that and they know that you know their their subscriber base wants that content anyway now It'll it'll be interesting to see how when, when Disney is there a point where Disney starts asking you know too high a price, and Netflix isn't you know willing to pay for it. If, if that day comes, um, you know how exactly does that play out from there? Because it doesn't mean that while they're more friend today, they can't be more foe down the road. Um, but but again, I mean this is all really a distribution game, right? It's it's about you know a few really popular and easy distribution channels, and then figuring out. Who's going to get their hands on the most content? And um, you know, right now, I mean, you've got to look at Netflix as really one of the leaders in the space, if not the leader in the space, because it's such an easy concept. It's so affordable. You know, 
it's it's bred a very loyal customer base as well. Um, but, but you know, Hulu, I would say I liken Hulu to that NFL team that gets like zero credit that you think your team should be able to beat blindfolded any given day. And you got to look out for those guys because one day, you know, they're going to sneak up there and get you. So you got to make sure to always give your competition enough credit because because Hulu is certainly upping their game here, and I think they're becoming a more credible player in the space. They're backed by some fat cats too. They right? are. You're right. Comcast and NBC. Yep. Yeah. Shares of Volkswagen down 18 percent and hitting a three-year low today after CEO. Martin Winterkorn apologized for violating U.S. emission standards. Uh, this is in the wake of just a couple of days prior when the Environmental Protection Agency accused Volkswagen of installing software on a half million diesel cars in the U.S. that enabled it to cheat emissions tests. And here's the money quote, ladies and gentlemen, potentially exposing people to harmful pollutants at levels of 40 times the acceptable standard. Let's say that again, shall we? <laughs> potentially exposing people to harmful pollutants at levels of 40 times the acceptable standard. I'm, maybe I shouldn't be, but I am stunned by this story and how far back it goes, Taylor, because we're talking about vehicles... Uh, so depending on the model, going back as far as 2009, mm-hmm. which means that Volkswagen had to be working on this at least a couple of years prior. Oh, for sure. So we're basically looking at, eh, let's just round up and say, uh, close to a decade <laughs> of Volkswagen very purposefully cheating the system. It kind of blows my mind to see the number one car sales company in the world behind something like this. And uh, I don't even really know how to react. I tried to go back and look at for articles that stated what year those emissions levels would have been legal, and I couldn't find it. I'm still going to try and go poke around on EPA's website because I'm guessing that these cars wouldn't have been legal in the 80s or 90s, um, even with these elevated levels. So I'm nervous for them. They said sometimes like 18 to 15, 18 to 20 billion dollars in potential fines. That's yeah, the, all their cash. So the they can be fined up to thirty seven and a half thousand dollars per vehicle, and you add it all up and you multiply yeah. by thirty seven thousand five hundred and you get <laughs> about eighteen billion dollars. And and at this point, the betting is that that's not the level of fine yeah. they're going to get. But first of all, this is a stock that that uh, I, I believe does not trade in the U.S. It trades in Germany, no, no. Um, but. I mean, talk about uncertainty. You can't you can't go anywhere near this stock at least until you figure out what the fine is going to be. Yeah, um, I wouldn't go anywhere near the car either. Like I think, <laughs> yeah, Volkswagen, that's true. It's no offense, but I mean, I I don't like those cars. I think they suck. My history of those cars, like growing up, is they're always breaking down. There's always a problem. They cost an arm and leg to fix. And I mean, now like BMW's got to be sitting back here just saying, oh yeah. Right. Well, that was my initial thought: was that other automakers have to be just rubbing their hands in glee, unless they're doing unless the same would thing. Be, but they're all getting recalled because they all do stuff wrong, but, right? Yeah. But I mean, do we actually think that Volkswagen is the only automaker doing this like mm-hmm. that? And and I I don't want to so accuse level, any, maybe. I don't want to accuse anyone of anything no. until we have reason to. Yeah. But I think if you're the EPA, and you've looked into this, you're now knocking on the door of Ford. You're taking GM, every car for a test drive. Toyota, you are you are running them all through mm-hmm. these tests, because again, this is not 
a recall that, oh, we had a faulty part and you get something in the mail. I mean, I, I have a, a, a Toyota minivan that I've had for 11 years, and every once in a while something will come in the mail and it's a, and it's a minor thing. And that's, you know, that, that is just a sort of a fact of life mm-hmm. with owning a vehicle. But I, I, this has malintent. Like, that's, that's the thing about this. It's, this I, isn't I, a whoops. This isn't a whoops. We didn't do this accidentally. No, we set out at the design table mm-hmm. to to cheat the emissions test so that we're going to pass the test and then we're just going to spew pollution into the sky all other times during the year. It looks extremely deliberate now. I mean, obviously, time will tell exactly what what the deal is here. The interesting part to me is so when you look at Volkswagen today, I mean, North America is somewhere in the neighborhood of 12-13% of their overall sales. And and their their market share in the US actually is just a sliver when you compare it to something like GM, Ford, even Toyota. Uh, and, and so it makes you ask a couple of questions. Number one, why? Okay? I the, the apology there makes me feel like he's sorry they got caught yeah. because this seems to be quite deliberate. But then number two is, given given their market share in the United States being really as insignificant as it is compared to the rest of the world, and I think we're already seeing this bleed out in the press. Some is now now Europe is on on the train and they're starting to say, whoa whoa whoa, you guys now you need to prove to us that you weren't doing this here because this doesn't necessarily quite make sense if you were just doing this to to diesel vehicles in the US because ultimately why were they doing it well it makes their diesel vehicles seem cleaner and, and therefore would hopefully juice sales somewhat um, and so this has the this has this has the opportunity at least to to certainly spread much farther than just than just the United States and if that is the case I mean that could be really really damning for them because they are a big auto company. I mean, they're they're the yeah. biggest, I guess, by sales. Volkswagen's trailing first half of sales this are, year. Yeah, yeah. two hundred forty-one billion in sales versus Toyota's two hundred thirty-two billion. Now, let's also be clear: chances are also very good that they will be able to overcome this and continue on existing. I mean, Toyota, uh, you know, ran into its its fair share of buzzsaws here not too terribly long ago as well. Um, but you know, I mean, that this. I don't know that I don't know that Toyota's problems necessarily look as deliberate as maybe Volkswagens do here, and and I think that's going to be an interesting sort of uh, side story here is how management reacts to this and how they sort of try to win back the consumer's trust because if you notice who's involved here, Chris, it's the California Air Resource Board. Well, that's the same carb that's been getting <laughs> getting the same carb that's uh, you know the B in, in lumber liquidators bonnet here with with their flooring, and so I mean they, they have the potential really to get there and and cause a big stink with that brand, and even if it's just knocking them down in the United States, I mean that has the opportunity to really to really spread around the world. And you talk about management; they just ousted their chairman, who yeah. was one of the founding family members' grandsons or whatever, um, because he was trying to promote more outsider involvement in the board. And he's gone now, and they promoted the CFO to the chairman spot. So you're wondering, you know, was he right? And now they're trying to keep this under closed doors with the insider board and the the CEO that's now sticking around for a couple extra years because he didn't get ousted. So I definitely think management is going to have some answers to uh, to deliver. And I got an interesting question on Twitter um, this morning. Uh, someone asking me, is this something? Will they be able to sustain their dividend? And if so, then that makes this stock look pretty cheap. And so my answer was twofold. Number one, their payout ratio is under 30%, which means that typically they can well afford their dividend. 
chances are they probably will still be able to afford their dividend because this is going to draw out. This is going to be long and drawn out uh, response. If we see them suspend their dividend, I think that would really, really hit the stock price hard. So, some management, I'm sure, is going to want to do everything they can to keep that dividend um, in in play there. But then further, like I, you know, for me personally, like, is it a steal? Is it a, is it a great bargain right now? I I don't necessarily know that. I mean, to me. Like I said, I'm not a fan of Volkswagen cars to begin with, so I would never buy the stock simply just because I'm just not not a big fan of the cars to begin with. I'm not not necessarily sold that it is a very cheap looking stock because this doesn't look like something that would be resolved anytime soon. It sounds like this is really just getting underway. Before we dip into the full mailbag um, programming note, eh, not really programming, housekeeping note, um, uh, of all the dozens of listeners, we do have a few in Japan. Um, and so, if you're listening in Japan, and particularly Tokyo, uh, wanted to let you know we've got a team of fools that we are sending to Tokyo in the next few months. And if you're there and would like to meet up with them, just drop us a note. Radio at fool.com is our email address, and we'll forward it along. That's radio at fool.com. From Kevin Jones in the Dallas Fort Worth area How many people know of the rule of 72? It's an amazing thing if used correctly. Just wanted to get your input on the topic. Uh, Taylor, for those unfamiliar, what is the rule of 72? Well, I understand what's behind it, but I didn't ever hear, hear it called this before. Basically, I guess if you're looking to double your money using interest rates, you just divide 72 by said interest rate or dividend yield or, or whatever rate you're earning on it or the return from the overall market. Um, and that's how many years it's going to take you to supposedly double your money. Mathematically speaking, yeah. so if you're getting a three percent return, you're you're looking at twenty four years yeah. before you double your money. Sure. Do you use this <laughs> if it's like consistent for twenty four years? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, how useful is it? Do you think? Um, I so I think it's useful to at least get some context as far as uh, the types of investments that you're making, because typically, I mean, while we focus on stocks here primarily, I mean that's what we do. Um, you know, you're you're hopefully investing your money in more than just stocks. You're investing your money in pot- potentially real estate, potentially Bitcoin. CDs. Well, no. I mean, you know, it's a commodity you, now. It's officially a like, commodity. If you feel like that's up your alley, I mean, sure, why not? But I mean, I think I think the general idea is it can give you a, a bit of a better idea, sort of, um, sort sort of looking at it from maybe a risk perspective, right? And and we were talking before taping about how somebody comes up to you and says, "Hey, man, I've got this, buy this stock. You're going to double your money in three years." And you're like, all right, I'm going to double my money in three years. Well, that that's a 24% return utilizing that rule. That's that's pretty good, right? I mean, that's when we when we find what we think are really market beating stocks here, we're looking for typically somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 to 15% annualized returns. And if you use 15, I mean, in five years, that means you double your money. Um, and, and so it's it's not anything that we really use um, to determine whether or not we'll invest. But it is sort of a nice, easy sort of way to get a to get a quick idea of maybe you know what kind of hurdle you need to clear in order to 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 get to to where your ultimate goal is. Yeah, I I find it's a it's a it's a useful tool as sort of a check, and and in particular on those types of opportunities, yeah. whether they come from a friend or, or or whoever. Just the whole if you step back and you're like, wait a minute, so. Really, this is going to do snake tw- oil. This is going to well, not necessarily <laughs> snake oil, but you know, because it's really easy for me to wrap my head around doubling your money. It's yeah. like, oh, just multiply sure. by two, great. <laughs> but then once you step back, it's like, wait a minute, this stock's going to return twenty four percent this year, next year, and the year after that. 
Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you have to figure out why. What's the <laughs> yeah. catalyst that's going to make it make it do that? Um, but then also, I, I I do like how you know I think more often than not, people would probably look at the rule of seventy two, and the end result, the number of years, is probably going to be longer than maybe they anticipated. They're going to be like, oh wow, it's going to take me six years actually to double my money, mm-hmm. really, or eight years. And, and so I think that actually plays in our favor. In you know we espouse long term investing here, and really we do we do tell anyone and everyone utilizing our services and our advice to make sure that you're only putting money in the stock market that you can feel comfortable parting with for five years at least. You don't want to ever get stuck in a position where you feel like you have to you're a desperate seller because then then you're stuck. You're not really making the call. But if you can go ahead and utilize that rule and say all right, it, there is it is going to take longer than I initially thought. Um, but but that's okay. Uh, then it, then at least it sort of helps frame frame it up from the very get go, and it kind of keeps your expectations in check from the very beginning. I was when I read about it, the first thing I remembered was dividend reinvestment plans. So you, yeah, you get your three percent dividend, four percent dividend every year. That's your interest rate, and even without any capital appreciation, you're, that's how quickly you can double your money just by. Not even taking that dividend out of your bank account or yeah, out of the stock market. Compounding can be yes. just huge. It can be huge. Thanks, guys. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fooler. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.